Well, the music continues to be an inspiration to me, and, and uh, the Lord uses it to help my heart worship and prepare for the service tonight, and thank you for that. It was particularly good tonight. It's been good every night, and uh, I'm thankful for that. Debbie and I are honored to be here and be part of the ministry this week, and it seems like this week went by real fast, and, uh, but we really enjoyed being with all of you, and all of you have just come out and supported this and been faithful. I pray that God will use it in your life, and... Uh, uh, continue to keep these thoughts. And those of you watching, uh, just thank God for you. Thank God for each of you who've taken the time to be part of this. We've certainly enjoyed it and uh, will not soon forget how great you've all been to us. Thank you for that. It's been good to talk to you all. And I was thinking tonight as I was listening to the music, so sometimes you'll hear me see praise God and victory in Jesus. So when we were in overseas churches and stuff, whenever we came to that part, uh, we would all shout, praise God. You guys ever seen that before? Everybody would stand up and throw their arm in the air and go, praise God. And people would say, well, well, why are you doing that? Well, when we hear that word blood, we praise God. Biggest mistake you can say to a soldier who just got saved, and then a couple of minutes later, play power in the blood. Man, that'll mess you up right there. There's power. Praise God. I mean, it just, you had to stop this song. But I, I thank you for that. Great song selection at Calvary. Years ago, I had just got saved, and that Sunday, uh, I went to church. And I told you a little bit about the story. We're going to get back to that. I'm going to preach on marriage tonight. Tell you a little bit about how Debbie got saved in our marriage and what God's Word has to say about marriage. I think there's some pretty cool, straightforward things in the Bible that are helpful. It's helped us over the years. But I still remember that first Sunday morning I went to church. So I had been born and raised as a Roman Catholic in uh, I knew a lot about tradition and ritual and things like that, but to be honest with you, it had probably been years since I had darkened the doors of a Catholic church. When I got saved, Debbie was still going on a pretty regular basis, but I'll never forget that new car feel. I'll never forget getting saved, you know. I still have that feeling today. It's still like a honeymoon to me. That I can't believe that God would save me. I don't know about you, but I'm still pretty blown away by that because I, I see no merit within myself, and that's what God's all about, isn't it? But I'm saying, boy, you could have saved so many people who are more talented, more brilliant, you know, all those things. And I'm not trying to be humble here. If you really look at how God saves people like us, it does blow you away. And I, I'm still blown away that, that God would save me in that way. But I remember Sunday morning, we went to church and there were two or three of us that got saved that week throughout the course of the ministry somewhere. And of course, everybody knew my story because the guy died on base. And that doesn't happen often where someone dies in your arms. And so we went to church on that Sunday morning, and when the pastor got done preaching and the people got done with the altar call, he had us come forward. And I'll never forget the song that they were singing and playing that morning was at Calvary. And uh, I can remember that church was just in a celebration, worship type of mood, you know. Everybody was so happy that there's a, because you never know when that's going to happen. You know, it could, uh, between people getting saved, you pray, you, you beg God, you you hand out tracts, you, you share the gospel with people, but it's God's work. And every once in a while, God will throw you a few of them, you know. And that's what happened that Sunday at church. And, and I'll never forget, they played at Calvary probably ten times while the church came. They were singing as they were coming through the line and uh, shaking my hand. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget people hugging me, welcoming me to the family. People I was at the Sergeant's Major Academy with that I had no idea was born-again Christians. Good to see you, brother. Welcome to the family. We'll see you tomorrow, you know. I was just amazed by it, but I've always loved that song. Years I spent in vanity and pride, 
caring not my Lord was crucified. Isn't that, man, I mean, we don't get our doctrine from songs. We, we don't preach songs, but praise God, every once in a while they get one right. I had a friend of mine years ago, he pulled out his hymn book, and he, he went to Streets of Gold there and Victory in Jesus, and he, he took a white out in every one of his hymn books, and he whited out the S. And I said, dear brother, you're going to have to pull out an awful lot of hymns and use an awful lot of white out, because if you're expecting those songs to be exactly biblical, it's just not going to be there. And, uh, but I appreciate that song at Calvary, and I, appreciate, I think Victory in Jesus should be our biblical anthem throughout for all Christians everywhere who've accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. I, I mean, that's a powerful song. And, and uh, I was thankful for the music tonight in Beulah Land. I, that just got me going tonight, man. I, I was like, man, I just hope she sings that a second time. I used to go to this church where this pastor would make people sing songs like three times. And, uh, you know, when I first got saved, it kind of bothered me. Now I'm the guy that's, hey, sing that again. Praise God. You know, bring up a few more people. You know those guys. Yeah, hey, hey, Bill, why don't you join her, you know? And before you know it, you go from a quartet to 20 people up here singing. And, and, uh, but I appreciated that tonight. I was singing in my heart. I can't sing a lick. And uh, I start, so this is a true story. And, uh, you know, whenever you start with this is a true story, it could be a lie, but this isn't. It was February 2020. And I called a lady in Greenville, South Carolina, and I said, ma'am, I heard you give voice lessons. And, uh, and she says, yeah, I, I do them online. And I said, well, I'd like to take voice lessons from you. And she said, okay, you can pay me through pay, PayPal or whatever. And so that I took one lesson, one lesson. I was going to surprise everybody. I was going to be, you know, I was going to get it together. I was going to have my notes right. And she had me sing a verse of a song. And I got all done singing that, and she said, Brother Doug, she said, one of those sentences in there was one of the best sentences I've ever heard saying. What happened to the other six? And I said, I have no idea. That's why I'm here with you. And she said, and so she taught me a couple things to play with my voice. Well, then the pandemic came, and I think she was afraid to get COVID online because she stopped giving singing lessons. And I'm like, dude, we're online, man. You're still going to get the money. I'm still going to be singing bad. I mean, you're looking at a long-term. I'm like, it's like a car payment, man. I'm not going anywhere. I've got one line out of seven. You've got a lot of work to do on me, you know. We're talking two years just to get three lines out of seven. Hang with me. But uh, she let me go. But I'm going to do it again. And uh, who knows. But uh, so tonight, so, uh, you know, the Bible says this poor man cried and the Lord heard him. I mentioned that earlier this week and saved him out of all his troubles. You're looking at that man. I'm going to tell you a little bit about our family tonight and show you from God's word. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the music. Thank you for touching my heart tonight. And Lord, we do pray for those who deal with anger or angry people. God, that you would use those tools we looked at, your word, to help folks. And, and Lord, that we'd have our eyes wide open, that we would look for those who cause division, that we would look for those who are trying to hurt us in our churches. And, and, and God, that you would give us just the, just the feeling, just that still small voice in our lives that we need to serve you in a wonderful way. Oh, God, we need you tonight. Be with us. Open our hearts. Lord, we do beg you one more time. If there's someone here, someone watching, someone who needs to heed to your word, we beg you that tonight they would get saved. And perhaps there's somebody who's been holding out on coming to the altar or holding out on giving you their all. We, we pray, Lord, that tonight would be the night that they would just break down those uh, bonds that hold them and uh, break those chains and set them free, dear God. Be with us. Take those words that 
would not bring you honor and glory and strike them from my vocabulary, dear God, and give me those things, that, those wonderful words of life. We love you. We need you. In Christ's name. Amen. So I was telling the story, so I got saved. I told that story on Sunday, and I mentioned to you that right away, and uh, to my shame, right away, as soon as I got saved, by the time we got done with the memorial service, and excuse me, we got done with everything on base, I went home. And as soon as I got home, I took that business card that chaplain had gave me, Pastor Bob Stewart at Hillcrest Baptist Church in El Paso, Texas, and I called him. You know, it had, he had a pager and a phone number. That was back before cell phones, obviously. And uh, I remember I called him on his phone, and he answered. I called him on the home phone, I guess. And he answered the phone, and, and the first thing I said to him is, is, Pastor, you need to get over here. I'm living with a reprobate. And I told you guys that story the other day. And he, he asked me the question. He said, where did you learn that word after I told him who I was? And he realized I had just got saved, and he agreed to come to the house. And I told you the story that he came out to the house. Wonderful man. Uh, he was wearing like a 10-gallon hat when he showed up. And I remember that. And came in the house, that hat occupied like the whole living room uh, end table or something, a coffee table. But he was so kind, and he shared the gospel with Debbie, and he, he told Debbie, listen, we love you. Uh, even though you haven't prayed to receive Christ, you're always welcome at church. You're always welcome in my home. This is my wife's number. This is my number. We're a church that's going to be praying for you and love you, and we're available to you all the time. Folks, that's unbelievable when people say something like that. In today's society, so many people are like, well, you didn't get saved. You know, it's over. No, that wasn't who Pastor Stewart was. Pastor Stewart is, we love you. That's the reason we planted a church here uh, at the end of the Korean War, is so that people like you could know the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we could share his love with you. And that was pretty amazing. And then I told you that Sunday I went to church, and one of the things I saw at church that was really weird to me is they had like a corner up in this front side, and it was all the wives who were married to military people and stuff that were not saved. And I just kind of hung with them because that's who I was. I was a spouse that was married to somebody who wasn't saved. And it was just a little group of us. And after a couple of weeks, Debbie started hanging with me. She started coming. So she was going to Mass on Saturday. And it was kind of cool to have Debbie with me. And uh, we went to church there. And Debbie was pretty faithful. She studied her Bible. She didn't get saved right away. And time went by. And we actually moved to Little Rock, Arkansas, Little Rock Air Force Base, we were, where we were living on recruiting duty. And... Uh, we lived there for a little while, and, and man, I went to a church. I went to this one church, and I, you know, I was, I was thinking, this is, you know, boy, Debbie's going to get saved here. Everybody was praying for her. And, of course, Debbie was the great person she's always been. You know, she wasn't drinking, smoking, partying, uh, running away, anything like that. She just wasn't saved yet. And, uh, uh, but God still saved sinners. You know, he's still in the business. It's just uh, we kept praying. Uh, but I remember we got to Arkansas, and we, we started going to this church, and and uh, this pastor, someone called the pastor, an evangelist, said, hey, I'm coming through town. I got a Sunday open. Can I preach for you? And I said, man, this is the Sunday. I felt really good about it. You know, we all prayed about it. We didn't know the evangelist, but pastor said, everybody knows this guy. He's a little crazy, but he really slings the gospel or something. I'm like, well, praise God. We're going to have a gospel slinger, you know, so... I took Debbie to church. I'll never forget this. This guy jumped from pew to pew. I remember he, when he made his first jump. Now, folks, there were backs on pews like that are here right here. He jumped over the pew to the next one. And I looked over at the pastor to say, dude, I thought Debbie had a chance of getting saved. <laughs> this guy's, you know, we're all thinking he's going down. I think some of the kids are, let him fall, let him fall, you know. And uh, anyway, Debbie didn't get saved. So the weeks go by, and we're praying. We're having Bible study. 
again, Debbie was perfectly wonderful through it all. And some people, you know, we just got to love people. And I just went out of my way to be a really good husband. I probably wasn't that great, but it's not like I had ever cheated on her or beat her or uh, any of those things. It's not like she beat me or sometimes she did. No, I'm only, I, I, I often tell people I hit Debbie once our entire marriage and it was a mistake. So don't think that I never, I was never that type of guy to raise my hand to anybody. But uh, I remember we, we used to, who used to watch the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, the WWF? Yeah, okay. All right, I'm coming clean. I'm admitting it. I've been free of it for decades, all right? But when I was on recruiting duty, they said whoever wins Recruiter of the Month this month and has over 125% emission will win tickets for he and his wife or he and whoever he wants to take to go see Hulk Hogan in WrestleMania, the first one. And, uh, I mean, it was Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. I mean, we're talking big names there, right? So I said, no one's beating me this month. And sure enough, I became recruiter of the month. And uh, I told Debbie, you know, Lieutenant Mayor is coming over here to pick us up. He's taken us to the Providence Civic Center. We're going to see WrestleMania, praise God. We're going to be sitting. We were three rows uh, from, the, from the fight. That's how close we were. It was great. It was cool. And so we get there, and man, we, we watch this. And people are getting clotheslined and slammed into the bottom of the floor. And we're cheering and stuff, you know. Yeah, Debbie and I wanted to beat up a couple of bad guys when they walked by us and stuff. But we held ourselves back. But anyway, we, uh, it came time, and we went home. And I think that rubbed off on me a little bit. And that Christmas, for Christmas, I bought Debbie a king-size waterbed for Christmas. And it wouldn't fit in our bedroom of our little apartment, so it became like our whole living room. People never came to visit us. It was the greatest thing ever. So anyway, people just stopped visiting us. I mean, the house was shut down. It was just Debbie and I. But we ended up, we still had a mattress up against the wall. And we got home that night, and we're wrestling and doing the things we did. And Debbie's no slouch, all right? If you, if you wrestle with her, she's going to pop you. You have to always be on your guard. And uh, anyway, I threw her up against that mattress, and she bounced off, and I'd put my arm up, and she'd always grab a hold of it, swing around, and we'd kiss or something. That day, I went a little bit too close to her, and I clotheslined her. And I... I still remember her feet coming out from under and her going straight up and pounding off the floor. And I thought I killed her. And uh, <laughs> folks, that was 1984. And I still, were, I still got that, that lump in my throat that I felt that day. And I'm like, honey, I'm sorry. She got up. She beat the snot out of me. But, <laughs> but so anyway, so back to our, I told you the ADHD thing's real. You got to hang with me with these things, these rabbit trails. So, so anyway, we end up uh, back at the house. I'm going to all these Bible studies. Debbie's coming to church with me. We have uh, one son. Our other son is born. We're living in Arkansas. We got two boys. We're so happy. God's being so good to us. And then in the middle of the night in July at 117 or 2, whatever, uh, in the middle of the night, the phone rang. When you're in the military and the phone rings in the middle of the night, it's not a good phone call. It's one of a couple things. Either the military is saying, you're deploying, you need to get here right away. You have a, uh, a drug test the next morning uh, or it's somebody calling you to say someone died or there's somebody in the hospital. And I still remember the middle of the night, the phone rang and I mean, your, your heart just sinks. And I remember Debbie answering the phone and her crying, my daddy. And uh, Debbie's dad was a great man and a Vietnam veteran, a uh, couple tours over there and, and retired from the military. It was just somebody that I really respected and loved and it was a real hard time. And again, I'm saved, and 
Debbie's not saved and I want to do the right thing. You know, so I said to her, because I was trying to, do you want me to call your priest? I mean, what do you want me to do? And I'll never forget her answer that night. She said, no, you need to call our pastor. I remember there's a story there too. I called our pastor and our pastor's wife was dying uh, in the hospital of cancer. She had a few days left to live. And I beeped him, and he, I mean, he immediately called back. It's the middle of the night, and I just wanted to ask him, what do I do? You know, I'm not prepared here to share the gospel with Debbie or, or whatever. What do I do? And he, he called me immediately. He said, Brother Doug, I'm at the hospital, but I want to come to your house. I said, no, you need to stay with your wife. You know, you can call the assistant. He said, no, Brother Doug. He said, my wife told me if she dies before I get back, she's going to heaven, and Debbie's not. And his wife said, listen, Doug, he needs to go to your house. I mean, that's some of the last words she said in her life. She was praying for Debbie, some of the last things she did in her life. And this guy got in his car, and he drove over to my house. I remember him combusting through the door. The sun wasn't even out. It was real dark. And uh, I can remember Doug. Doug, our oldest, wakes up for everything. He knows, every, <laughs> he knows everything that's going on. And I can remember we were looking out the bedroom door, and Doug was three years old, three and a half. And I can remember Doug saying, Debbie and the pastor kneeled down. You could see right into the living room, dining room type area. It was an open floor plan. And I remember Doug saying, Daddy, Mommy's getting saved. Mommy's getting saved, Daddy. She's praying to receive Christ, Daddy. Look. I never forgot that. So I wanted to share that with you. That was in July. It was sad that her dad died. We had just been with him uh, just a couple weeks prior to that. So just very shortly before that, uh, we, had, uh, we had been with him. And, uh, and he told, the last thing he said to me when I was back out of the driveway, Debbie was talking to her mom out her window, and everybody was saying goodbye to the kids. And he made a motion for me to roll down the window, and I rolled down the window. And he said, Doug, if I die, don't come back. This is good enough. This, this was great for me. Thank you. And that was the last thing he ever said to me on earth. And, and shortly thereafter, he had, he had died. And I remember Debbie was dealing with some pretty major issues. You know, his dad saved and all those types of things that we deal with. And uh, I remember the, the uh, pastor coming over and he made this statement. He said, you know, Debbie, your dad three times. Your dad was in Vietnam three years. And you don't go through Vietnam three years without hearing the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're just going to rely on God. And uh, what's more important is, you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And Debbie got gloriously saved, never looked back, and, and, uh, and God's been so good to us. And if you open your Bibles up to the book of John, chapter 2, the book of John, chapter 2, I want to preach just a short message tonight, but uh, I can remember we prayed. It was months of hundreds of people praying. Uh, everybody who went to our church in El Paso, everybody who went to our church in Jacksonville, Arkansas, everybody in between. Uh, the chaplains, people just praying for us. And never stop praying for your loved ones to get saved. Uh, God hears your prayers. He hears our prayers. He's the God that hears our prayers, the Bible said. And he heard our prayers. Uh, there was a lot of people on their knees. There was a woman dying in the hospital, died three days later, lost consciousness the next morning. Never again on this side of heaven did she talk. But some of the last words in her life was telling her husband, go share the gospel with Debbie. She needs to get saved. That's the kind of spirit I want to have in my life. So here we are, we're in John chapter 2 and verse 1, and it said, The third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when we go there, I want to look at a few categories of people and what's going on here in the Bible. So when we, when we first get here, we realize there's a marriage. 
Now, marriage is pretty important. I still remember when Debbie and I got married on October 8, 1983. And I know there's a bunch of people in here who's been married longer than 39 years. Who beats us? We're married October 8, 1983. So there's a bunch of people around here. They're saying, you're a rookie, man. And, uh, but I still remember that day. I woke up like it was. So I should tell you this. Uh, we were not saved at the time. And uh, so when I went and looked for somebody to marry us, I decided that I was going to get this justice of the peace who listed in the phone book that he also did Christian Bible services. So I picked up the phone book and I called him and he said, here's the deal. I'm a Mormon. That's what he told me. He said, I'll do the justice of the peace thing and marry you guys. Just a regular secular ceremony where I say, do you, do you, do you, I marry you, sign your marriage license. We move on 25 bucks. He says, if you want a Mormon service, just 25 bucks. He says, I'll do that because that's my religion. He says, but I can do a Christian service too. But if you want a Christian service, it's 25 bucks more, 50 bucks. So I'm sitting there on the other side of the phone. You know what? I'm thinking about this. And I said, man, God's worth 25 bucks to me, right? So I'm not even saved. And I'm like, I want the Christian service, man. And so anyway, time went by. Debbie and I got engaged on Valentine's Day in 1983. That's a good day to get engaged, praise God. I mean, some people get engaged at Christmas and stuff like that. I pulled the old Valentine's surprise, but it wasn't a surprise. Uh, but anyway, we got engaged on Valentine's Day. We got married on October 8, 1983. So the time went by. We had everything set up. We, uh, I went, and I was a fireman. I was a local fireman. And, and our local fire station. I was a volunteer fireman. I actually went to Firefighter 1. I couldn't go to Firefighter 2 because I wouldn't climb up the big long ladder and ring the bell and climb down the other side. I was like, you know, people get paid to do that, and I'm not among them. I'll, I'll go. I'll fight fire. So all they let me graduate from. I went a weekend, two or three weekends, and got Firefighter 1 trained. And, and I loved firefighting. I loved, I wanted to be the first one there to drive the fire truck or the ambulance. And there's so many stories, so many great things that happen. And I was so thankful to be part of that over the year we lived there. And one day, October 8th, 1983 in the morning, my plextron went off, which was like this beeper thing. went, bah, ah, ah, And it talked. And it said, Baltic 42, you know, and it was, I, I forgot it was 23 was an ambulance or something. 51, I think was, a, at that time was the fire and I might get them backwards. And uh, it, it was a fire. They said, 51, you know, respond. And man, I took off. I said, baby, I'll be back. You know, we had hours before the wedding. Everything was going to, I had to serve my community. There could have been people out there dying. I didn't know, you know, and I didn't want to be the guy to not help my fellow man or woman who may be in need out there. And I get to the fire station, I'm the first one there, praise God. I mean, I put those blue lights on, had the siren on. I was that four-speed Ford. I was going down the road sideways, and I beat, I beat the guy who usually beat me by at least a minute. Got in the fire station, uh, fired up the fire truck, and watched the guy who always beat me come pulling in. I pulled out the fire truck. I had to wait for an assistant, and then we had to wait for one other person to roll. Then a guy showed up and got the ambulance, and we rolled, and it was a dump fire. We got to the dump, and man, the dump, it stunk. I can still remember it. But the good news, it was right along the river. And uh, so we were able to, to drag this, like, five-inch line going both ways in the river, out of the river with our great big pumper, and just go after the fire. And, and I mean, I'll never forget how much fun it was to hold that huge hose up in the air and, and shoot at that fire. And, folks, you're not going to believe this, but the time escaped me. Here I am serving my community, worried about my fellow man, and something comes over the loudspeaker because you set up the speakers at these fires, right? 
And the speaker came over and said, Baltic 42, chief. And the chief came on and said, go. He said, do you got a guy there who's supposed to be getting married? <laughs> Folks, I'm telling you, if that doesn't freak you out, nothing will. It was worse than doing a, uh, the head thing on Debbie, you know. I mean, that was a bad thing. And, and I said, and the chief goes, anyone here supposed to be getting married? I said, chief, it's me. He said, you dummy, get in my truck. And anyway, I got in his truck and we're... I'll never forget, they took over the hose and the fire truck, and, and uh, I took off in the truck, and I mean, it's, it's past the time I'm supposed to be getting married. I mean, it's past the time. And uh, I remember I'm, I'm flying down the road with the chief in his truck, and he said, he said, Doug, he said, I've been married 21 years, and it took 21 years for my wife to hate me. He said, you're starting on the hate side. And anyway, he's just, and he's tearing into me. And, he get, and we're going back with the siren, the lights on. He said, get in your car. Use your siren and your lights. Get to your wedding. And uh, so, I mean, I, I was getting married at my home. And so I, I, I drove home as fast as I could. I'm flying home with the siren and blue lights on. And I got in there, and the best man was there. And the man of honor, Debbie's man of honor, was there. And De- Debbie wouldn't say a word. And I must have smelled like a dump or something because everybody just pointed toward the bathroom. And, my, and so, uh, yeah. And, and so the, the best man was my best friend, Pat. He's a pretty good guy. He's dealing with the Mormon preacher on doing a Christian service who wants more money because I'm taking so long to get there. And my buddy Butch is there. Butch, was the greatest guy. His name was, I had two friends named Matt and I couldn't deal with that with my ADHD. So I told them, I named one of them Butchie. So I'd know the difference if they were both in the room. I just couldn't say Matt and have them both turn around. So I officially proclaimed this guy's name was Butchie when I was nine years old. And it stuck. No one ever called him anything but Butchie his entire life. On his gravestone, it's got Butchie on there. And uh, that started, sadly, because of me. But anyway, I got there, and Butchie was one of these guys who was constantly... He'd mess with you, you know, like he, he would tell Debbie, you know, if Doug ever leaves you, I'm here for you. You know, he was one of those guys. And, and man, I, would, I had made a decision just the year prior, it's time for me to get married. I woke up, I was 21 years old, I turned 21 years old. I wasn't married, all the girls I went out with were losers. And so I decided it was time to do the right thing. So I picked 10 girls I knew with my buddy Butchie, who I thought were marrying material. They were out of the two towns that lived close by. And I contacted all of them, and I said, listen, this is Doug. I'm turning 21 in a couple months, and uh, I'm interested in getting married and meeting somebody serious. I'm getting a list of girls' names together who might be interested in that with me. And if you're interested, can I put your name on the list? Well, of course, some people told me I was an idiot. Some people hung up on me. Some people said yes. Well, anyway, it ended up with three people on the list. So I gathered all three people together with my friend Butchie, trying to make the right decision. And Butchie's telling him, listen, hey, this is what Butchie said. Hey, you got nothing to worry about. Whoever doesn't pick Doug, you can have me. It's all right. So I brought these three together, and I told them, I said, listen, I'm going to marry one of you. You know me to be truthful. I'm sick of the losers. I handpicked you, and uh, you're the only three that came out of the 10 I called, but I'm picking one of you to marry. And I mean, it wasn't nothing gross or anything. This was just a real discussion. And uh, I brought the three of them together. And this one girl helped me out greatly. She stood up right at the beginning of this conversation and said, Doug Kerriger, you pick me right now or I'm leaving. And she left. 
and I told the other two, I said, this is the kind of discussion that I'm trying to force to hear. I wanted them to get on to one quickly, so I knew who my group, but I didn't want to pick, because I was doing a real bad job at it, you know? I kept on picking the wrong people. I even asked Butchie, I even asked my buddy's boyfriend, Gene, to pick one, or girlfriend, and uh, uh, nobody would pick one for me. They said, no, we can't pick your wife. Well, anyway, in the meantime, I meet Debbie, so it got down to two, and I couldn't get, they both said, we're willing to wait. We'll wait till you pick one of us. It was just terrible. But in the meantime, while I'm trying, I mean, it was killing me. I couldn't sleep at night. I was, you know, which one do I pick? I asked my mother to help me. I mean, nobody would help. And so, you know, today everybody would help. It's a different generation today. But anyway, I, uh, you could put it on Facebook and say, vote for the girl, you know. But in the meantime, I meet Debbie. And I fall in love with her. And fast forward to the wedding. Now, the girls, one of them got mad at me. One of them didn't care. And, uh, but anyway, God gave us this wonderful love for one another. And Debbie just really changed my life. And, uh, and so I show up at this wedding, and I'm so sad. I shower. I come out. Debbie's still not saying anything to me. And this guy marries us. And Debbie married me. And I'll never forget that. She married me. My buddy Butchie's over there whispering in my ear, it's not going to last a year. You're such a loser. And that was Debbie's man of honor. And I'm like, thanks, Butchie. And he's like, hey, Debbie, if it doesn't work, give me a call. You know, I'm available. And uh, yeah, Butchie had issues. But anyway, here we show up at this. And, and that's our marriage story. It's not a great one, but it's the one we got. It's great. And God's been so good to us over the years. But in the third day, there was a marriage at Cana Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus called and his disciples. I want to look at three groups of people here. The first group of people I want to look at is this married couple within this text. It's a real quick look. You know what they did that changed everything? They invited Jesus and his disciples to the wedding. You know what they did? They said, it wasn't the cool thing to do back then. I mean, Jesus is just beginning his ministry here. But they decided if we're going to have a marriage, God's going to be part of it. And we're inviting Jesus to our marriage. Let me tell you, if you're going to have a marriage that's of any good, of any value, of any substance, that's going to do anything right, you need to have the Lord in the center of that. This couple decided right up front, we don't care what people think. We don't care what's going on. We're inviting Jesus to be part of our marriage. We're not going to rent some Mormon guy for 50 bucks to come out and do a Christian ceremony. What we're going to do is we're going to get premarital counseling. We're going to go through the things that God has for us. And then we're going to invite Christ and his disciple to our marriage. We're going to let them come. They're going to be part of our marriage. And we're letting the whole world to know right now that from this point forward, our marriage is going to be Christ with us. He's going to be wrapped around everything we do. He's going to be part of our lives. Folks, I wish I could tell you how our marriage changed, but there's not even adequate words in the dictionary to describe how God changed our lives. And we were already okay. We already loved each other. I already took my wife everywhere I went. Uh, if I was being transferred somewhere, Debbie came. If, uh, if I had a, a mission to do in the Army, if I, could take care, if I could take Debbie and the kids, Debbie and the kids came with me. I made a decision when I got married, I'm getting married. And, uh, you know, we're in love, and I'm going to hang with my wife. And uh, this couple saying, I'm going to hang with my wife, I'm going to hang with my husband, and God is going to be an integral part of that. Folks, put God in your marriage. Uh, make God the focus of your marriage. Don't let him be the co-pilot. Don't let him be something. Make God the focus of your marriage. 
And, and man, God will hold you together. The more you seek God, the more you'll find each other if it's about God. The more you'll just keep on uh, running into His precepts and, and His love and those things that are going on. The more you realize that God is at one with a husband and wife, uh, that it's real. This couple got it right. I will give this married couple credit. Uh, we're seeing the Lord there at a marriage, and He's been invited to it. Man, it's nothing better than that. And then the second group I want to look at, and I think it's really important, or the second person is Mary, the mother of Jesus, is what the Bible says. And Now, I had the wrong impression of Mary for many years, being raised as a Roman Catholic and stuff, that I thought she had some kind of deity and stuff, but I think we're going to prove right here in chapter 2 of the book of John that that's not the case at all. To the extreme, Mary's telling you what's going on, right? So it says... And when they, so it starts, I'll start in the beginning again. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called in the disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what do I have to do with thee? Mine hour has not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, I love this, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. You know what she's saying? I'm not God. There's, these are her last words in the entire Bible. This is the last thing Mary had to say. Someone should pull this page out and deliver it to the Pope. Whatever the Lord says, do it. You know, folks, if we're going to have a good marriage, if we're going to have a good life, if we're going to go through and, and, and have what God has for us and do the best we can, we have to listen to what God says. We have to do what God tells us to do. And, and, and Mary's out there and he's saying, you know, whatever he tells you to do, just do it. I think Nike stole that from the Bible. Just do it. Just do what God's telling you to do. You want to have a good life? Do what God tells you to do. You know what we do in life? We try to circumvent the Bible. Or we try to translate it in a different way. We have a world of people who wants to translate verses in so many different directions. Well, that actually means... Uh, or, you know, actually, if you put it together with this and this, and it's the last Saturday of the month, and you feel good, and you read this guy, and you read that guy, listen, you don't need another book to tell you whatever God tells you to do. You just go ahead and do that. Mary's standing there in the midst of all them, and, and I think she's a little taken in by the moment. I know I would. She knows that, uh, you know, this, this baby she had that was 100% man and 100% God who never sinned. And, and when Mary says, you're God, you're God. Mom knows everything about you. And, uh, and, and I think she's taken in the moment. And the realization, he says, mine hour has not yet come. She's under the realization that my son's ministry is starting soon. My whole life we studied about the ministry of our Lord and Savior and here it is. Here's where it's beginning. And you know, the moment didn't overwhelm her. It probably would have overwhelmed me. But it didn't overwhelm her. She knew what was coming. She knew that this baby that God let her carry, she knew. She said, it's about to get good. Whatever he tells you to do, just do it. There's a purpose behind this. His ministry is about to begin. And so we look at that first group of people, the married couple. They said, Jesus is coming to a wedding. You want to have a miracle in your marriage? You want to have a miracle in your life? You better invite Jesus to your wedding. You want miracles to happen? Jesus better be part of your wedding. He better be part of your marriage. And then his mother's out there and just testifying to what she is. She goes to him and says, they're out of wine. 
There's nothing to drink around here. And uh, I'm pretty amazed at what happens from there. And then that third group is the motivated servants, the disciples. And uh, Mary's last words, do it. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Wow. Those are some pretty great words. She's saying, don't pray through me. Don't come to me. I got to go to him and ask. I got to go to him and tell him something. I'm not deity. I was just chosen. Boy, I can't wait to meet Mary in heaven. I don't want to downplay being chosen from women. I'm not downplaying that at all. What a joy that is. It'll be great just to stand in front of her and hear her words and talk about what that was like and to meet Joseph and uh, uh, especially to meet Jesus. And then that next group of people, so we come along and in and, and the third day there was a marriage at Canaan Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there and both Jesus was called and his disciples. We invited Christ to our marriage. He's going to make a difference. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus who was there saith unto him, they have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, woman, what do I have to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto, do, unto you, just do it. And, and there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. And uh, it, it might be as many as 27 gallons. They were multiple people would carry them with, with wood and, and things of that nature. They were very heavy. Then Jesus say there in verse number seven, he saith unto them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. And I'll tell you, if you've got a pencil underline or pen, filled them and they filled them to the brim. So, so Jesus looks at his disciples and, and his servants, and he, he says, take these water pots. They had been blessed. The, the rabbis had come along. The Jews had made sure they were spotless. They were clean. Everything was ready for these water pots, and they said, take these water pots. Now, when you would have a meeting or a group of people, sanitation was everything in these days. So, so you would have the restrooms and the outhouses and stuff way over here, and then somewhere in the middle, you would have the group of people having the wedding, and then somewhere way over here, you would have the well. Everything was separated by a long way. And here he is looking at his disciples, and he's saying, take these water pots and fill them up. And I'm amazed at what the disciples did. They did a couple of things that amazed me. The first thing they did is they didn't talk about, hey, why are we filling them up? Maybe there's a better way if we send somebody over with a bucket at a time. If we get everybody involved here at the wedding and everybody gets a gallon, it'll be a lot easier. Or maybe, you know, we can find some wine somewhere else. We can gather up our money. We can go see if there's something in town. They didn't do any of that. You know what they did? They grabbed those water pots and they went and filled them. They didn't talk to each other. They didn't complain. One of the things I remember about the army is nobody ever called me to say, hey, Doug, we're thinking about doing this. You think that's a good idea? No. You know, when I was in the army, they'd call up and say, this is your mission. Get it done. And we were allowed, you know, within our mission to say, what's the best way of doing our part of our mission? But this is our mission, and we're going to get it done. We're not going to call up and say, hey, we can't do this. Maybe it's a better idea to do it that way. We don't have time for that. You know what those disciples did out there? They said, Mary just told us to do this. This is serious. And our Lord just said, our Lord just said, mine hour has not yet come. It's here. We need to fill these water pots. We're not filling these water pots so people here can drink. We're filling these water pots so that God can change lives. 
We're filling these water pots. When we come in and clean the church, we're not cleaning the church so somebody feels good about how good the church looks. We're cleaning the church because we serve God. And God's house needs to be clean. Uh, we, we don't tithe because somebody wants our money. We tithe because it's God's already and we give it to them. You know, there's a reason we, we do things because of God. We don't sit around and talk about it. We don't, we don't say, man, I wonder if we should fill these water pots. Maybe he only wants them half full. No, they went over there. They used wood through the handles. They were crew mounted, man. It was like carrying an M50 machine gun and all the rounds. They were carrying this bad boy. Those disciples were out there walking in step and walking together. They were dipping that thing in the well. They filled them to the brim and then they carried them back gingerly. God was going to use this water. It was about something that was going to be real. And when you do something for God, it needs to be real. And they got those pots back. They brought them all back, and God turned them into wine. And man, it changed everything. We can learn some things from these motivated servants because that's the way our life should be. I wrote down some things. I was looking at them again this morning. They obeyed immediately. They took the command. They didn't talk about it. They didn't say, Man, there's a better way to do it. You know, somebody else could show up and carry this pot once in a while. I'm always the person carrying Nope. They said, God wants this pot filled. Let's go fill it. And they obeyed immediately. And, uh, and you know what amazes me as well? Is that sentence I had you online. They filled them to the brim. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time carrying a pot of water four feet from the sink to the stove when it's three quarters full. These guys are walking across that desert terrain out there and, and, and man, they're carrying those pots perfectly and they're serious about it and they're real and they want to make a difference. You see, folks, when we get married in life, whatever we do, we need to invite Jesus. He needs to be part of it. When he becomes part of it, everything changes. When he becomes part of it, it's not a hassle to go to church. When he becomes part of it, it's not a hassle to hand out a track. When he becomes part of it, it's no big deal to give to missions. When he becomes part of it, life's change. When he becomes part of it, man, everything is different. And then Mary, she tells all of us, listen, Whatever he tells you to do, just do that. Don't waste your time on fighting him. I, I can't tell you how many years I've fought things people have tried to teach me in, in God's word, how many times I've banged my head up against the wall, how many times I've went in the wrong direction. Mary's saying, cut all that out in your life. Stop that now. If God tells you to do it, do it. If God says to get saved, we get saved. It's not what we want. It's what God tells us to do. And then we come up to those motivated servants. Well, how'd they get motivated? First of all, they invited Christ in their life. He was involved in everything. Secondly, whatever God told them to do, they just did it. And third, they said, here we are, Lord. We'll fill these water pots. We'll get them right back over here. We'll carry them right back over here, God. They're coming. You know, I don't know where you're at in your walk with God. Many of you have been serving God so much longer than me. Many of you probably have read through the Bible so many more times than me. It's, you know, I get through it once a year. I try to get through it more than that. I'm trying to 
not be that person that just checks a block and says, boy, I read six chapters today, or, or I read John 1 today, or as I was finishing up the book of Jeremiah today, boy, I finished up the book of Jeremiah. No, I want to do it what God's invited in. God, what do you have for me today? What in here is going to change my life? How can I become a better person because of you? So that the world can see that I'm good, not for me, but because you shine through me. Be like those disciples. Boy, sometimes we need a tune-up on that, don't we? We get so discouraged, we get heavy. We think, man, if I had more money, if I had more time, if more people were willing to help me. God doesn't care about any of that. He does love you. He does want what's best for you. But obedience is what matters to God, our hearts. Giving him our hearts. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Joseph didn't have a dime. Didn't even own his own body. And God said Joseph was a prosperous man. He didn't have a car, a pickup truck, a gun. He wasn't married, didn't have a family. You see, God looks at our lives and it's about inviting him, doing what he tells you to do, and being glad about it. And knowing 